Welcome to A Transforming Word with Pastor Bill Buffington. This program is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood. Today on A Transforming Word. Some people think communion is something that you can only do at church when it's been officiated. Now, some of you guys maybe even come from a background where it's even further than that. If they don't have on white gloves, they can't touch it. If, uh, if it's not on the table, it can be made out to be a lot more than what it is. But do you know that communion is something you can do all by yourself? You can go into your kitchen and you can grab a cracker, you can grab some juice and you can sit it down on the table. And you can open up your Bible and you can just sit there and say, Lord, I want to remember what you did for me today. The church through the centuries has added all kinds of rituals and conditions to the simple practice Christ demonstrated as he met his disciples the last time before his crucifixion. Scripture only portrays him saying, this do in remembrance of me. He didn't add any extra rules and regulations to it. It should be something we take seriously. But as Pastor Bill will point out in today's message, this sacrament is something we can do on our own as an authentic act of worship and gratitude to God. Now, here's Pastor Bill in the book of Leviticus chapter 3 for today's edition of A Transforming Word. Now look at verse 6. If his offering is a sacrifice of peace offering to the Lord of the flock, rather male or female, he shall, do, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb as his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And I want to just point this out because God gives three options. You remember when he did the burnt offering, he did the same thing. He didn't want anybody to be left out. He didn't want someone to not be able to worship because they were poor, because they didn't have very much. He said it could have been a, a oxen. And he went all the way down to a pigeon or turtle dove that, that, you know, pretty much anybody could get in the game and, and, and participate in this thing. Well, as we look here at the peace offering, we got the same structure going on. Now, oxen would be expensive. Um, so if you were wealthy, well-to-do, and had large flocks and herds, then that would be where you were offering a peace offering from. Maybe not, though. Maybe you were scaled down in the financial structure that day. and You could say, I could offer one of my little sheep. That's what I could offer to the Lord. Maybe you didn't have that to offer, then a goat. Um, a goat then and a goat now. They ain't, ain't real hard to come by, and they're not real worth a whole lot. So um, you offer that goat up to the Lord, but God had made it possible for everyone to participate in some way. I believe the same is true today uh, with, with regard to worshiping him, with regard to celebrating God's faithfulness, God, God's goodness. There isn't any classes within the body of Christ. Everybody can participate. Everybody can worship. Everybody can enjoy what the Lord has provided. Um, we all have something that we're able to bring to the table. We have something we're able to offer up. And so it could be of the flock, whether male or female, uh, has to be without blemish, had to be perfect. Verse seven, if he offers a lamb of his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. The very same thing, Aaron and his son shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of the peace offering, an offering made by fire to the Lord. It's fat, it's whole fat tail, uh, which he will remove and close to the backbone. The fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food and offering made by fire to the Lord. And I got to tell you guys, I was reading over this this afternoon. I was studying and I was getting ready to get lunch. 
And I was just convicted that I could not go get fatty food for lunch today. It was like, I'm looking at guys that don't eat the fat. It made the fat and the fatty lobe and the fat. So I went and had, I had a Belizean beans and rice and some, some, I had lean food. But I'm looking and thinking like, I mean, God basically cut out everything unhealthy and said, offer that to me. Give it to me. Um, put that on the, just burn that up to me. And the, the, the rest that'll be, you know, worth eating, you guys will have it for yourself. So, if you were the person offering the sacrifice, you brought the offering, you put your hand on it, you killed it, you cut it up, you took all those pieces out, you put them on the thing, you offered them to the Lord. We, we're, we're, we're only in Leviticus 3. Leviticus 7 gives us um, more insight. In Leviticus 7, um, we find out that um, this is a share of the priest. Um, Leviticus 7.31 and then 7.15-21. through 21. You can write that down in your notes. Leviticus 7.31. And then chapter 7, 15 through 21, and we'll go look at it in a little while, but we find out these two things that the priests uh, and those that were offering it up, they were going to get to share in part of this offering. The priest was going to be able to um, have, uh, they were going to receive the, the breast of the animal. After it was a, a, a wave offering, they would be able to take what was left of the breast of the offering. In Leviticus 7, 32 and 33, um, the officiating priest, he's going to have the right thigh. And so... The rest of this animal, the thigh, the breast, all these things, the people were going to be able to take it. And after they waved it as a wave offering, the meat that was left, they would take it and they would enjoy it themselves. And it would usually be something that people would have a feast and they would share in this feast with other Israelites. And so this peace offering was not just a celebration of their peace with God. It was also something that they enjoyed with one another, that they would they're celebrating their peace with God, but they're also feasting and having fellowship with one another. And so this is a very upbeat, celebratory type of offering, even though it was, um, you know, had to die and all those other things. It was something that would be for celebration. The last way that they could do it in verse 12, it says, and if his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle his blood all around the altar. The, then he shall offer from it of his offering. And um, as an offering made by fire to the Lord, the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food. An offering made by fire, and we see that phrase again, for a sweet aroma, all the fat is the Lord's. And so uh, in each case, uh, all the fat, all the, all the unhealthy parts are going to be offered up to the Lord. I want to have you turn forward now. Turn to Leviticus chapter 7. So just turn forward a couple chapters. And first, I want to look at verses 15. Uh, start at verse 15, Leviticus 7, verse 15, it says, The flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be, shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it till morning, but if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it, the remainder of it also may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire and if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it. And the person who eats it shall bear guilt. 
Now, I was reading that just thinking, I wonder why he could eat it up until the third day. Any thoughts on that? Any ring anything? Any make you think of anything? He could have it up until the third day. After the third day, he says, nope, no more eating it. It'd be an abomination. And um, when on the third day, what happened? Jesus rose. And so I just think it's so interesting as you look back and you just see their little pictures where God said, you can do this. You can eat it that day. Eat it this day. Eat it. But on the third day, no more. And if you do a study on the third day from the Old Testament, God has put it, he planted it over and over and over again. He sowed that seed in the minds of the Israelites that 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 which was to come, that Jesus would die. And on the third day, he would rise again. And so just wanted to point out that they were able to enjoy this this offering. So most of the time, the offerings went up and it was all for the Lord, the burnt offering. But this one, they were able to partake. Uh, they were able to eat. They were able to feast together and enjoy some of it with one another. And so it would be something that you would have all your friends and all your family come out and you guys would all eat some of this meat and enjoy fellowship over this food together. So anyone's ever had a good party with a lot of barbecue or something like that, it, it would be that. But the goal of the gathering is celebrating the fact that we have peace with God. And so I believe it would encourage fellowship among uh, the Israelites. Then look at chapter seven, verse 31. It says, and the priest shall burn the fat on the altar, but the breast shall be Aaron and his sons. Also the right thigh you shall give to the priest as a heave offering from the sacrifices of your peace offerings. And so the breast and the thigh was going to be given over. And so this would also be things that could be eaten and enjoyed later on. So we come back to this. Um, I said it in the beginning. They would do peace offerings as a group. It was part of the way that Israel would worship God. So it was a collective thing. But it also could be something that someone could do all by themselves. So they could just say, you know what? I just want to I just want to give thanks. I'm just thankful. I want to celebrate the peace that I have with the Lord. And it was something that a person could do whenever they wanted to. I just wanted to point out that with regard to communion, some people think communion is something that you can only do at church. When it's been officiated. Now, some of you guys maybe even come from a background where it's even further than that. If they don't have on white gloves, they can't touch it. If, uh, if it's not on the table, it could be made out to be a lot more than what it is. But do you know that communion is something you can do all by yourself? You can go into your kitchen and you can grab a cracker and you can grab some juice and you can sit it down on the table. and You can open up your Bible and you can just sit there and say, Lord, I want to remember what you did for me today. I want to give thanks. I'm thankful for the broken body and the shed blood. I'm thankful for what you accomplished for me. I'm thankful for what that means for my life. And you could just celebrate communion. You could do it with your kids at home. Uh, it doesn't have to be done here. We do do it when we come together because the word of God tells us that we should do that. We should come together and celebrate communion together. But you could do it all by yourself. You could do it at home, by yourself, at home with your kids, just remembering what God has accomplished for you. And so last thing, um, and then we'll, we'll, we'll look at just some practical things. What, what was the purpose of the offering. Uh, it was an expression of joyful gratitude because of the fellowship that they had with Jehovah. Also, if there, if there was a vow, if somebody had made a, a vow to the Lord, they were able to, this, sometimes they would do this as a result of some vow that they had made with the Lord. And it was thanksgiving for spiritual favor with God. So there are many different reasons that people would come, but I just want to point out it was never so that God would do something for them. And I think believers have to be careful about doing something for God in hopes that God, I'm going to serve you really faithfully so that you'll do this for me. 
I'm going to worship you with everything I got, God, so that you'll do this for me. And I've said it many times. I used to hate the phrase I would hear a lot of times in church circles. When praises go up, blessings come down. And I'm like, no, this, that's the backwards. You know, it's not when praises go up, blessings come down. Blessing has already come down on the cross. Amen. So that's already happened. So because of that, praises go up. Um, I think it must be a slap in the face of the Lord to think that, God, we're going to praise you so that you do something else for us. When God has said, well, I've already done everything I could do for you. I died for you. I rose from the grave. I've forgiven you of your sins. I've, I've made sure you heard the gospel. I mean, what, what more do you want? Um, what, what, what more do you need to worship me for? Um, we have plenty to be able to worship him for just in the cross. If God chooses to do anything else for us, it's just grace upon grace and blessing upon blessing. But we, we, we all should be in a place where they're sufficient um, with the cross to, to give God glory and to worship him um, as a result of what he's already done. So what is this? How does this relate to us as New Testament believers? How does these Old Testament Israelites way back when offering up a peace offering for thanks of their fellowship with God? What does that mean? How does that relate to us today? Does it have any correlation whatsoever? And I got a few New Testament verses that I'd like to look at with us. If you're writing notes, I'd ask you to write them down. The first one is in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 14. Um, I'm going to read verse 13 and 14 together. It says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. And I'll read the next verse. Having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that so as to create in himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And it goes on to talk about the reconciliation that God has done. But I want you to notice in verse 14, for he himself is our peace. And I don't know if you're enjoying the peace of God. I believe that you can be at peace with God, say born again but not be experiencing his, his peace presently. And I want to explain how that could be and what you could do about that. I believe that there are Christians, they're born again, they're born, they die, they go to heaven, they, they're, they're at peace with God. They, their sins have been washed away, their sins have been forgiven, but they're not enjoying presently the peace of God in their life. Um, believers that are prone to anxiety, believers that are prone to, to worry about things. And I believe that that's why, you know, if, if I'm at peace with God, I got a relationship with the Lord. But if I don't access everything God's made available to me, I could be functioning practically like a non-believer, not really enjoying the peace of God in my life. I'm worrying when I have a God that says, hey, I got that. I'm, I'm fretting and I'm, I'm nervous and I'm anxious about something that God says. But I told you to bring all your anxieties to me. I told you not to worry, but to pray. And because I won't pray, I worry. And I worry because I won't pray. And so there's some believers that though they have peace with God, they're not enjoying the peace of God. But it's because of how they place themselves. They won't they won't enter in in these ways that God has called us to enter in. And so um, maybe you're here. Maybe you're prone to worry. Maybe that's a battle for you. Maybe that's something that you, you struggle with, um, you know, worrying about things that are outside of your power, outside of your control. Um, I just recognize this. I never struggle with worrying when I'm praying. 
if I'm praying about things, if I'm bringing them before the Lord, it's amazing how nothing has changed in my circumstances. But just the fact that I'm speaking to him about it, my disposition is different. My trust is different. And the sense in my heart that God's got this is different because I'm continuing to bring it to him and leave it with him in prayer. It's when I won't pray. It's when I choose to look long at the circumstance and look long at the things that are right before me that now I'm fretting, now I'm worried, now I'm thinking too hard, now I'm all over-concerned about something that God said, man, I would have took that all off of you if you'd have just brought it to me. Everybody knows Philippians 4, 6 and 7. Philippians 4, 6 and 7 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with prayer, supplication, and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then it's the promise. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, it won't even make sense. God's peace is beyond understanding, will guard your heart, which is the seat of emotions, and your mind, which is your intellect, through Christ Jesus. The two areas where most people are messed up. Some people are too emotional, and some people are overthinking everything. And God says, I, I know that that's how y'all are wired, so I'm telling y'all, pray. Don't be anxious, instead pray. And God says, what I'll do is step in, and I'll give you peace that passes understanding. And I'll guard you if you're prone to emotions, I'll guard your emotions. And if you're prone to overthink things, you're a thinker, you're a you're an overanalyzer. You know, you done broke it down 20 different ways in two seconds. God's out. I'll, I'll take care of your mind. I'll take care of that as you pray. Give you perspective. Always interesting to me when I got to teach on something, it seems like God says, yeah, you're going to teach that. I'm going to let you I'm going to let you walk it out a little bit. And I, I tell them to tell I tell the truth that this week there's a pile of stuff that God is saying. You're going to worry, you're going to pray. You're going to look at that, you're going to look to me. And it, it's a challenge, but I, I, I do see that as I look to him, as I, um, as I look to the Lord, as I bring it to him, that everything I need is in him. Everything I need is, is wrapped up in him. The next thing I want to look at with you guys is um, in Colossians chapter 1, just uh, two other scriptures, Colossians chapter 1 says this verse 19 and 20 it says for it pleased the father that in him all the fullness should dwell and by him to reconcile all things to himself by him rather things on earth or in heaven having made peace through the blood of his cross and so not only do we have peace but we know that his peace was we know where it was purchased that is we have peace with God through his blood on the cross these people were celebrating the peace of God with this offering we know that we have peace with God through his blood on the cross. And that's how someone that has not come to Christ yet, someone that's not believed in Jesus yet, they can't have the peace of God. They have not been reconciled yet. They can enjoy peace of God or peace with God. And then the last thing, um, you know, it says that he preached his peace to those that were far off and those who were near in Ephesians 2.17 um, God preached this peace. He was sharing this. He was communicating this message to other people. It says that he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and those who were near. And when you look at the message, Jesus said one of the things that he preached was peace. I want peace with you. He wants to be at peace with us. When we're out preaching the gospel, we're out sharing with people the gospel. We recognize that they're actually separated from God. But we're preaching to them the gospel, the good news. This is what God has done to bring you into relationship, to bring you into a place of peace with him. If you're here and you're someone that struggles with worry, struggles with just being able to, to lay things down and look to the Lord with these things, 
I just want to read some scripture to you. I'm going to read a section of Matthew chapter 6. So if you guys are writing notes, you can write down Matthew 6, 25 to 34. And it says, There's therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, what you will drink, and about your body, what you will put on it. I'm sorry, I'm sorry what, so what you're, about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, and you are you of not more value than they. Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to a statue? You think about that. One thing God is communicating here is worry doesn't change anything. It doesn't make anything better. If I wanted to be six foot two, I cannot worry hard enough to grow an inch. He said, which, which of you, by worrying, has ever added anything? And I guess that's something we can all think about. Some of us can maybe remember when you worried about something and then it didn't happen. What you were worried about didn't even happen, so you worried for nothing. Anybody done that before? You worried really hard, you lost sleep, and you, you stressed out and called all your friends, and, and then nothing happened. It was all for nothing. I've done that. Um, I, the, you got to put that in your back pocket next time you get ready to worry and say, you know what? <laughs> I'm, I'm not wasting another night of sleep on something I can't control. But nothing, worry doesn't change anything for the better. Worrying about tomorrow will ruin your today. And so... Verse 28 says, so why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field and how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. Will he not much more clothe you? O you of little faith. Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you have need of all these things. But then he says, this is what you do. But seek first the kingdom of God and all his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And I would just say this to those of us that worry. One of the guys I was reading had made this quote. He said, but worrying is how we show God that we don't trust him. And I thought, wow. When we worry, it's, 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 it's showing God right now. I don't trust you. So I'm worried. Um, and so it's but it's when we what's the opposite of worry? Faith, trust, peace. Exactly. So you can have two people in the same predicament. One person's worried. One person's at peace. The person at peace can glorify God. The person that's worrying cannot. So be mindful of that as as believers that. Our non-believing friends, co-workers, family, they watch us go through the same stuff they go through. And hopefully they see a difference. Hopefully they, they can recognize in you a peace that they don't, they don't know. Hopefully they can see in you that there's something that God has provided for you that they're lacking. They, they might gain it for themselves. And so back to Leviticus, um, read the last verse 17. This shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations in all your dwellings. You shall neither eat fat nor blood. And so just one last time. I mean, in each case, God told them that the, in the peace offering, they were to cut out all these things. But he, he goes, and, goes ahead and said, hey, it's a statute. Uh, it's something that you guys are not going to do. It's my command to you guys. You're not going to eat fat and you're not going to eat blood. And I just want to point out once more that God in giving his commands, God in giving the things that he prohibits, that he forbids, that he says don't do. Again, we're able to look back now and say, wow, that was that was wisdom for them back here. 
Uh, this is something that would keep them. It's something that would enable them to, to go further and do the things that God had called them to do. And, and it would separate them from the nations around them. We need to be careful that we don't look at the things that God prohibits and forbids and think that, you know, somehow God's missing it. Somehow we're, we're missing out on something good. Um, there isn't anything God forbids us to do or wants us to not participate in that would be good for us. Pastor Bill Buffington will share more from the book of Leviticus right here on A Transforming Word. But that's all we have time for today. A Transforming Word is a ministry of Calvary Chapel Inglewood, and our prayer is that this ministry touches your faith in such a way that you grow closer to Jesus. We know just how hard it is to live like Christ in a world full of darkness. But just as the Israelites had to learn, God is near. Even when you don't see Him, even when you don't feel Him, even when you don't understand Him, He is near and He is for you. His grace is endless and His love is deep. When the pressures of this world get to you, remember who you are in Him. If you'd like to learn more about the book of Leviticus and you'd like to study the Bible more deeply, we have a helpful Bible reading plan on our website. This can be a useful guide to help you explore the Word on a daily basis. Just visit CalvaryEnglewood.org and you'll find resources and tools to help you continue to grow in your faith. Before we go, we also want to let you know that you can connect with us on social media too. Like and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. We'll add some uplifting content to your week. A Transforming Word is a broadcast on the radio, and our goal is to help spread the good news of the gospel. If you'd like to find out more about how to support A Transforming Word, go to CalvaryEnglewood.org or donate through our app. We're so thankful for your support and more than anything, we hope this ministry has been and continues to be a blessing to you. Thanks for your support and thanks for tuning in. To learn more from Leviticus, be sure to join us next time right here on A Transforming Word.